Chapter Seven of the Golden Lion of Grandpere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry O'Neill. The Golden Lion of Grandpere by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Seven. Adrian Urmand, in spite of his white hands and his well-combed locks and the silk lining to his coat had so much of the spirit of a man that he was minded to hold his head well up before the girl whom he wished to make his wife. Michel, during that drive from Remiremont, had told him that he might probably prevail. Michel had said a thousand things in favour of his niece, and not a word to her prejudice. But he had so spoken, or had endeavoured so to speak, as to make Urmand understand that Marie could only be won with difficulty and that she was perhaps unaccountably averse to the idea of matrimony. "'She is like a young filly, you know, that starts and plunges when she is touched,' he had said. "'You think there is nobody else?' Urmand had asked. Then Michel Voss had answered with confidence, "'I am sure there is nobody else.' Urmand had listened and said very little, but when at supper he saw that the uncle was ruffled in his temper and sat silent with a black brow, that Madame Voss was troubled in spirit, and that Marie dispensed her soup without vouchsafing a look to any one. He felt that it behooved him to do his best, and he did it. He talked freely to Madame Voss, telling her the news from Basel, how at length he thought the French trading was reviving, and how all the Swiss authorities were still opposed to the German occupation of Alsace, and how flax was likely to be dearer than ever he had seen it and how the travelling English were fewer this year than usual, to the great detriment of the innkeepers. Every now and then he would say a word to Marie herself, as she passed him, speaking in a cheery tone, and striving his best to dispel a black silence, which on the present occasion would have been specially lugubrious. Upon the whole he did his work well, and Michel Voss was aware of it, but Marie Bromard entertained no gentle thought respecting him. He was not wanted there, and he ought not to have come. She had given him an answer, and he ought to have taken it. Nothing, she declared to herself, was meaner than a man who would go to a girl's parents or guardians for support, when the girl herself had told him that she wished to have nothing to do with him. Marie had promised that she would try, but every feeling of her heart was against the struggle. After supper Michel, with his young friend, sat some time at the table, for the innkeeper had brought forth a bottle of his best burgundy in honour of the occasion. When they had eaten their fruit, Madame Foss left the room, and Michel and Adrien were soon alone together. "'Say nothing to her till to-morrow,' said Michel in a low voice. "'I will not,' said Adrien. "'I do not wonder that she should be put out of face if she knows why I have come.' "'Of course she knows. Give her to-night and to-morrow, and we will see how it is to be.' At this time Marie was upstairs with the children, resolute that nothing should induce her to go down till she should be sure that their visitor had gone to his chamber. There were many things about the house which it was her custom to see in their place before she went to her rest, and nobody should say that she neglected her work because of this dressed-up doll. But she would wait till she was sure of him, till she was sure of her uncle also. In her present frame of mind she could not have spoken to the doll with ordinary courtesy. What she feared was that her uncle should seek her upstairs. But Michel had some idea that her part in the play was not an easy one, and was minded to spare her for that night. 
but she had promised to try and she must be reminded of her promise hitherto she certainly had not tried hitherto she had been ill-tempered petulant and almost rude he would not see her himself this evening but he would send a message to her by his wife tell her from me that i shall expect to see smiles on her face to-morrow said michel Foss. and as he spoke there certainly were no smiles on his own i suppose she is flurried said madame Foss. ah flurried that may do for to-night i have been very good to her had she been my own i could not have been kinder i have loved her just as if she were my own of course i look now for the obedience of a child she does not mean to be undutiful michel i do not know about meaning i like reality and i will have it too i consulted herself and was more forbearing than most fathers would be i talked to her about it and she promised me that she would do her best to entertain the man now she receives him and me with an old frock and a sulky face who pays for her clothes she has everything she wants just like a daughter and she would not take the trouble to change her dress to grace my friend as you did as any daughter would i am angry with her do not be angry with her i think i can understand why she did not put on another frock so can i understand i can understand well enough i am not a fool what is it that she wants i wonder what is it that she expects does she think some count from paris is to come and fetch her nay michel i think she expects nothing of that sort then let her behave like any other young woman and do as she is bid she is not old or ugly or a sot or a gambler upon my word and honour i can't conceive what it is that she wants i can't indeed it was perhaps the fault of michel Foss that he could not understand that a young woman should live in the same house with him and have a want which he did not conceive poor marie all that she wanted now at this moment was to be let alone madame Foss, in obedience to her husband's commands went up to marie and found her sitting in the children's room leaning with her head on her hand and her elbow on the table while the children were asleep around her she was waiting till the house should be quiet so that she could go down and complete her work oh is it you aunt josie she said i am waiting till uncle and monsieur Armand are gone that i may go down and put away the wine and the fruit never mind that to-night marie oh yes i will go down presently i should not be happy if the things were not put straight everything is about the house everywhere we need not i suppose become like pigs because monsieur Armand has come from basil no we need not be like pigs said madame Foss. come into my room a moment marie i want to speak to you your uncle won't be up yet then she led the way and marie followed her your uncle is becoming angry marie because because why have i done anything to make him angry why are you so cross to this young man i am not cross aunt josie i went on just the same as i always do if uncle michel wants anything that is his fault not mine of course you know what he wants and i must say you ought to obey him you gave him a sort of a promise and now he thinks that you are breaking it i gave him no promise said marie stoutly he says that you told him that you would at any rate be civil to monsieur Raymond. and i have been civil said marie you did not speak to him i never do speak to anybody said marie i have got something to think of instead of talking to people how would the things go if i took to talking to the people and left everything to that little goose peter uncle michel is unreasonable and unkind he means to do the best by you in his power 
He wants to treat you just as though you were a daughter. Then let him leave me alone. I don't want anything to be done. If I were his daughter, he would not grudge me permission to stop at home in his house. I don't want anything else. I have never complained. But, my dear, it is time that you should be settled in the world. I am settled. I don't want any other settlement, if they will only let me alone. Marie, said Madame Foss, after a short pause, I sometimes think that you have got Georges Foss in your head. Is it that, Aunt Josie, that makes my uncle go on like this? asked Marie. You did not answer me, child. I do not know what answer you want. When Georges was here, I hardly spoke to him. If Uncle Michel is afraid of me, I will give him my solemn promise never to marry any one without his permission. Georges Foss will never come back for you, said Madame Foss. He will come when I ask him, said Marie, flashing round upon her aunt with all the fire of her bright eyes. Does any one say that I have done anything to bring him to me? If so, it is false, whoever says it. I have done nothing. He has gone away, and let him stay. I shall not send for him. Uncle Michel need not be afraid of me because of Georges. By this time Marie was speaking almost in a fury of passion, and her aunt was almost subdued by her. "'Nobody is afraid of you, Marie,' she said. "'Nobody need be. If they will let me alone, I will do no harm to anyone.' "'But, Marie, you should wish to be married some day.' "'Why should I wish to be married? If I liked him, I would take him. But I don't. Oh, Aunt Josie, I thought you would be my friend.' "'I cannot be your friend, Marie, if you oppose your uncle. He has done everything for you, and he must know best what is good for you.' There can be no reason against Monsieur Raymond, and if you persist in being so unruly, he will only think that it is because you want Georges to come back for you. I care nothing for Georges, said Marie as she left the room. Nothing at all. Nothing. About half an hour afterwards, listening at her own door, she heard the sound of her uncle's feet as he went to his room, and knew that the house was quiet. Then she crept forth and went about her business. Nobody should say that she neglected anything because of this unhappiness. She brushed the crumbs from the long table and smoothed the cloth for the next morning's breakfast. She put away bottles and dishes, and she locked up cupboards and saw that the windows and the doors were fastened. Then she went down to her books in the little office below stairs. In the performance of her daily duty there were entries to be made and figures to be adjusted which would have been done in the course of the evening had it not been that she had been driven upstairs by fear of her lover and her uncle. But by the time that she took herself up to bed nothing had been omitted, and after the book was closed she sat there, trying to resolve what she would do. Nothing had perhaps given her so sharp a pang as her aunt's assurance that Georges Voss would not come back to her, as her aunt's suspicion that she was looking for his return. It was not that she had been deserted, but that others should be able to taunt her with her desolation. She had never whispered the name of Georges to any one since he had left Grandpere, and she thought that she might have been spared this indignity. If he fancies I want to interfere with him, she said to herself, thinking of her uncle and of her uncle's plans in reference to his son, he will find he is mistaken. Then it occurred to her, then it occurred to her that she would be driven to accept Adrien Ramon to prove that she was heart-whole in regard to Georges Foss. She sat there, thinking of it till the night was half spent, and when she crept up cold to bed, 
she had almost made up her mind that it would be best for her to do as her uncle wished. As for loving that man, that was out of the question. But then, would it not be better to do without love altogether? End of chapter 7